I think it's no secret to say that podcasting is my meaningful media, and podcasting as a medium continues to post big growth numbers. Listeners doubled in four years from over 200 million in 2019 to more than 500 million in June 2023, and global listeners are set to blow past that half a billion by 2024. As brands head into this new audio space with its channel-specific challenges, they need effective support to tackle brand safety, to lock in listeners through meaningful audio media experiences, and create brilliant content in this not-so-new channel. To help us unpack the opportunities and the future here, we have an incredible guest on this episode of the Meaningful Media Podcast. It's Dave Byrne, Director of Global Advertising Platform Integrity and Spotify. Dave, hello. Hello. Thanks. Great to have you here. You are you are a trailblazer, an expert in the space. You're ex TikTok, you're ex Google, and you now have a major job at Spotify. And you are going to help us unpack some serious themes in today's episode. So thank you for joining us. I'm happy to join. So before we before we kick off, can you share your journey in media and and the platforms with us? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So. I'll take you back to me, like in college, mm-hmm. I went to university in Dublin in Trinity College. And around the time that I was leaving university, a lot of people were kind of stuck because uh, I did business economics and social studies and everybody was going into banking. 2008 was not a great time for banking. This was when like Lehman Brothers were collapsing and everything else. So um, at the time, uh, I was lucky enough to kind of get in with Google just after university. It was kind of like one of those things where I wasn't 100% sure what I was getting into, but I think they were looking for people with that, you know, that business and economics background. Um, But joining Google, like, opened me up to the world of tech. And, uh, you know, this was a really interesting time because not even mobile was a thing back then. So I just saw tech grow from like this very simple pay-per-click advertising model to like multi-channel attribution, uh, all of these new medium like display, video, uh, through mobile, everything else. Google really opened up my eyes to a whole world outside of what I knew before. And that gave me the opportunity to work out of London as well. So Moved over to London with Google, worked across multiple different teams in sales, marketing, product development. And then with them, I made the move over to the US, New York specifically, in 2015, where I was working on the global product marketing team. And around that time was the time that a lot of questions started coming up about privacy, brand safety. There was the the beginnings of like the tech lash mm-hmm. uh, era. Um, if you remember in 2017, then we had the adpocalypse where, you know, a lot of advertisers saw that their ads were adjacent next to pretty terrible content and brand safety really picked off from there. And I was very much like interested in this area. I just thought it was like a really fascinating mixture of it's still, you know, the, the marketing elements of things, but there's also this element of like protecting brands, protecting users more importantly as well with all of this and making sure that ad funded media was something that everybody could get value out of without being harmed. And, um, you know, at my time in Google got involved in Garm, like was very much working with Rob Rakowitz in the very early days when they were setting up. And, uh, you know, in 2019, then I made the move over to TikTok. Um, 
I was fascinated by TikTok more so because they were a company coming from the east and moving westward rather than a company from the west moving eastward. So I thought this would just be a new cultural experience. And there I got, you know, I stayed heavily involved in brand safety. Um, I worked with a fantastic team there. But, you know, and I think this, Ben, you mentioned at the start that like your meaningful media is podcasting. For me, it was always music. And I loved uh, I loved Spotify. I loved what they were doing. And, you know, when the opportunity came up to to build something here at Spotify, I, I jumped at it. And that was just a, over a year ago. And uh, yeah, I've been here, been here a little over a year. And that's basically been my journey to date. I think it's a fascinating journey because you've been through many of these developments in digital media, effectively. You've been through many of these new channels and you've been tackling, there's a consistent thread in your career is tackling uh, and thinking about these these concepts of brand safety, brand suitability through them. So you have a, a really unique perspective on this, I think. I, I'd like to think so. I mean, I think one thing that kind of uh, helped when I joined Spotify, for example, was you know, in the audio space, when we're thinking about brand safety, I think people see audio as a completely separate medium or a separate channel. Uh -huh. But the thing is, though, is that if you think about it, I came from YouTube, I came from TikTok, and a big part of video is the audio elements as well. Interesting. And one of the things that I saw with brand safety was that we were building technology that was really good at identifying the visuals that brands shouldn't be against. Uh -huh. We're able to identify, hey, that's very clearly graphic, violent content. So we better not appear next to that. But when you take the audio elements, you know, there was still challenges in relation to somebody's tone of voice. Is somebody saying something as a joke or are they saying something as a legitimate harmful thing? You know, uh, that is something that was still a challenge for video platforms to do. And it is a challenge in the audio space as well. So I think what I kind of saw was even though people were trying to tackle it as a separate medium, that actually there was so much overlap with with all of these other medium that have audio elements as well. So I've been really excited to work in that because it doesn't just mean that we're kind of thinking, hey, how do we improve brand safety on Spotify? It's how do we improve brand safety around audio so that everybody that has audio elements to it can benefit from it? It sounds like there's a, a almost unique degree of nuance to the the audio medium. There is. I mean, I mentioned tone of voice, but it's it's other things as well. Like language is just constantly evolving where, you know, something that is a innocuous term today could next week be a term used to spread misinformation. Interesting. Uh, you know, it's I mean, even just if you think about how bad actors work as well, they're always trying to circumvent how they get around moderation. Mm -hmm. And they'll always come up with like new terms that they think that moderators won't be able to pinpoint. So you're always kind of fighting against that and you're constantly fighting against that evolution of language. And, you know, uh, final thing as well on that is you're also fighting against like the nuances of language from one country to the next. Mm -hmm. People are listening and wondering what my accent is because it's a weird mixture. As I said, I was I grew up in Ireland, and a term that we have for fun in Ireland is crack. Yes, of course. So yeah. for me, 
I can say something like, I'm going out on Friday night to have some crack. And that in itself, for Irish people listening, is very innocuous. But if that's an American listening to that, an American moderator, they may say, oh, they're very clearly talking about drugs. Uh And we're going to moderate them as a result of that. And how do you explain that then to advertisers who may appear next to it, may appear adjacent next to it, where they're like, well, we heard we heard one thing and we've interpreted it this way. So I think there's there's so many nuances to take in that it involves evolution of language, uh, you know, the local nuances of language, but also the tone of voice. And there's so much there that is just interesting challenges to take on. So it's not simply about the the content, you know, transcribing the content that's committed to an audio medium, reviewing that against, say, misinformation narratives, the the actual content itself. Is it is it safe? Is it talking about something that's um, not appropriate for a category or uh, does it use curse words? It's actually thinking about the linguistic reality of that content idiomatic differences cultural differences and and uh and again that that difference in uh countries and and language exactly the way i always think about it is as much as we talk about content in brand safety where we've had to focus on in audio is more about the context yes so context versus content because you know and you know we work with advertisers that still have you know, negative keyword lists, like anti-targeting keyword lists. And you look at some of those keywords and you're like, well, you've put in the term drink, like, because clearly you don't want to be next to any alcohol discussions. But what about like the, what about the foodies that are talking about like, oh, like I just had this new smoothie. What a great drink. What about uh, the you know, the health and fitness instructors who are saying like, oh, make sure to drink plenty of water after your workout. You know, again, it's it's all about understanding the full broader context of what is being said rather than just honing in on individual keywords or individual pieces of content within the media. I think this is why this concept of brand safety, or sometimes we use the term brand suitability, has become so central to to use our language, this idea of media experience, because it's not only about content, it's about the context and, and the connection the audience has from those two things, the, the connections forged by that context and content. And it, it feels like there's a... You took us back to the adpocalypse in, in your intro. Some of our, our listeners... Uh, weren't actually even in the industry at, at that point. And there is a thread from the adpocalypse of, oh no, our ads may be next to inappropriate things. We need to move to these sort of blunt blocking technologies um, to now really thinking about that nuance, to thinking about the appropriate places for, for ads and brands to show up. And of course, those do differ by ads and brands and, and differ for each audience. Oh, 100%. And, you know, the context as well is really important for brands to get because you know whenever we look at even just statistics about engagement you know it's not just about like hey like are are this brand making sure that they're appearing next to you know next to a podcast or music that you know it doesn't have any curse words in it or mm-hmm. doesn't have certain types of content in it but it's also like is the context of this audio and the context of this ad appropriate for this audience and 
is it something where an audience uh, like the listeners will actually engage with uh-huh. you know um we did this piece of research a while ago sonic science where I, I i'm trying to think of the exact figure off the top of my head i'm gonna say it's 73 percent, but you know we found that 73 percent of people would actively engage with an ad on audio if they felt like it was relevant and that again is an important piece of context as well where if we're thinking about brand suitability it's not just hey is this is this like uh, above the garm brand safety floor or is this you know uh adhering to our brand guidelines it's also is this the right moment for our brand to to participate um, in this experience for the listener. And I think that's a, a part of brand suitability that I think we're starting to get to now where it's becoming a little bit more nuanced. To your point, when the adpocalypse happened, we had brands and uh, brands that were just taking actions that were like, hey, we're going to go super conservative. We're going to remove as uh, as much media as possible to make sure that we're safe and then work from there. And I think what's been happening is as controls have been developed as you know people are more aware of like how to use the technology that's available as third parties have come on and as platforms have improved we're continuing to chisel away at that at that big block that we put in initially and we're honing in on something that i feel is a better experience for not just the brands themselves but also the users as well Uh the listeners that they're actually hearing more ads that feel right for the moment if that makes sense absolutely i I think the whole concept the whole discussion around brand suitability has been elevated the flaws weren't necessarily always there the the practice had to be developed and you know gom shout out to gom uh and many others a a lot of the work done as well by the wfa uh and the, the platforms um, coming together uh, with advertisers, agencies, brands, and um, in some cases, civil society groups, we're able to put, put together a sort of framework of floor. And then I love this concept of, of chiseling away at that that sort of block because the concept of where is appropriate for my brand to show up, how am I forging those audience connections whilst thinking of context, creates opportunity. And it creates uh, 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 the ability to... Uh, there's a delta here, right? There's a delta here that you can uh, you can in, it, look at for effectiveness, right? Brand suitability and effectiveness are, I think, often the same conversation. Yes, uh, 100%. And, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, it's like I have seen multiple, multiple times that when brands get brand suitability right, mm-hmm. engagement metrics like soon follow. Yes. Um, you know, when I think we've all been in this experience where we're watching a video online, we're listening to something and this ad comes on and you're like, what? Why am I getting this? this? Yeah. And the, the thing that happens is that all that happens is that you're annoyed by it. If you hear it more than once, you start getting resentful towards it. Um, I don't want to call out any particular advertisers, but there is a, a, an, a company here that does this like cars exchange thing. Every time I turned on my TV for a period of like six months, I'd see this ad and I hated it. And every time it, I think of this company, it like I I can feel myself tensing up. And it was, again, because they were appearing in the wrong kind of medium. Like mm. that ad was appearing in between ad breaks on HBO. It's like, why? 
why are you in between Game of Thrones and Last Week Tonight? Like, how is that appropriate for you whatsoever? Like, you have a jingle sung by kids after Game of Thrones? Doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> it's that kind of thing where if you were to look at that on paper and compare that to industry standards, so that that's probably not a risky environment in their mind. But when it comes to the actual suitability of what what is the user experiencing and what is actually uh, going to drive interest and engagement, that is not a suitable experience. So when brands get suitability right, and that ad appears next to a daytime show when there's like kids on the couch with their parents all together, that is a more appropriate experience. That is more suitable. And maybe then they would get more engagement and interest rather than people like me who tends up every time they think about it you know what i love about that is you brought us back to uh, to the practice of media buying right you brought us back to spot buying in tv so i think there's a real danger sometimes when we talk about brand safety and brand suitability to just think hey these are like levers in platforms and controls and algorithmically driven stuff and ai and yes that's important those are important filters tools things in our toolbox that we can we can use to deliver brand suitability but at its core it goes back to that key discipline of media planning right and that, and that lovely example of like this seems like a suitable environment but actually is is and of course i'm you know don't know the brand but may not sound like the best tv spot buying so you brought it right back to that practice of of buying great media yeah, exactly. And the thing is, is that I always kind of think whenever I'm talking to a brand about like whenever they're talking about their KPIs and their metrics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know that there's a programmatic is always going to be a big thing. And like they're really thinking about like how they get their reach. And like just because you're appearing next to a, a you've got a million eyes looking at your ad doesn't mean you're appearing in the right environment that those million ads, a million eyes are going to make an action, are going to change things. And, you know, I think there's there's definitely something to be said about like bringing it sometimes back to basics of like what is good media that we can buy like what are things that we should be uh, we should be engaging and we should be buying. I can't tell you how many times I've speaking of the audio medium it's like we talk to people who are like oh like we want to be here on this playlist we want to do these things we want to do these things and they'd be like well what kind of audience do you want to capture? And when we bring it back down to the audience, it's like, well, actually that audience is like in all of these other places and doing these other things and like rethinking that to make sure that again, it's, it's like, Hey, don't, don't sacrifice like revenue, profitability, engagement for the sake of like other metrics that you may assign yourself. And again, you know, uh, the, mo the most effective media are the ones where if a brand is appearing in the right moment at the right time, you don't need to buy like millions of impressions. If you're in the right moment at the right time, like the the results, the engagement, they come next. Again, it's all just about making sure that you make like informed purchasing decisions and make sure you bring it back down to like what is truly impactful, what is truly the thing that matters to your business at the end of the day. Let's talk about audio, particularly in podcast, right? Because there are some there are some like technical wiring challenges there that make it discreet to other medium. So can you can you sort of unpack that a little? The podcasting medium is is a fascinating one because podcasting's been around for a while now, but the actual infrastructure it 
still a lot of podcasting is still using RSS feeds and like very simplistic technology. And what that has meant for a lot of podcasts is that they've kind of it's kind of used this system called dynamic ad insertion as a technology where dynamic ad insertion is is really powerful way to make sure that ads get placed into podcasts um, and they get inserted at the time of download. Now, that that is great in regards to just making sure that ads get there in the moment when uh, when listeners want to download a podcast, want to listen to it. I think, though, where the challenge comes in, though, is that that infrastructure, when somebody downloads it, there isn't as much of the measurement metrics that you can get in real time uh, with uh, with that. You know, somebody downloads a podcast, they go off, they listen to it. But like that metric of like, oh, did they, what time did they listen to it at? Like what what where did they listen to it? Were they in the car? Were they on the go? Um, were they at home? Like all of those signals kind of get missed with dynamic ad insertion. Um, so streaming ad insertion is something that we've been investing in. Um, it's a similar technology, but it actually inserts ad into the podcast at the time of streaming. So this actually unlocks like a lot of digital planning, reporting, and measurement for advertisers. Um, it it delivers the quality of that traditional podcast ads, but it has that additional transparency of modern day digital marketing. So that's definitely something that we're we're working on, and we're hoping that that way then um, advertisers get more uh, signals around the audience that they want to reach. They know that their ads are being delivered with confidence, like they understand the impact of their investments. So the other thing to remember about podcasting, and I'll take you back to when podcasting first came into the zeitgeist around when Serial came out um, with that that famous first season that they did. I think everybody I knew was listening to it, but we all remember that there was an ad in there. Uh, Mailchimp had their ad in there. Everybody kind of remembers this because it was part of the listening experience to Serial. Everybody remembers this. A lot of that buying was very much a one-to-one kind of purchase. It was like, hey, like we're going to buy these individual podcasts. We're going to buy Serial as a podcast. Um, where we've been also investing in is making sure that we can actually do buying more at scale. Um, that's why we've kind of uh, invested in the Spotify audience network. So our audio first advertising marketplace. Um, and the hope here is that not only can advertisers reach engaged audiences, but also that we can actually start uh, bringing more podcasts to a wider audience as well and actually help more creators actually make money from the work that they're doing and from the actual creation of their podcast. So we are hoping that as time progresses, we'll see that this is a win for both advertisers and for creators as well. Um, and finally, as well, like, you know, with all of that, as I said, you know, a lot of the podcasting buying was direct buying. I think the other thing is making sure that we open up podcasting to advertisers of all sizes, that it's not just like big advertisers making direct purchases. Um, that's why we are uh, opening up our uh, our self-service platform, Spotify Ad Studio. So, you know, when we think about the wiring, you can probably tell that we're still very much in a build phase. You know, we are building so that 
podcasting can get to the point that other digital media are at, um, where advertisers of all sizes can participate. They can get the uh, measurements and transparency that they get from other medium and that the creators behind all of this great stuff can also benefit uh, from earning money and earning revenue from those podcasts. With the Spotify self-service, uh, the ad studio. Um, so one of the things with podcast buying, a lot of the podcast buying, as I mentioned, was very direct. And you know, if, if somebody wanted to put in certain brand suitability controls, they would work directly with some of our team to actually integrate that. The ad studio piece, though, is where an advertiser can come on to our website, can set up an account for themselves and actually see some of those uh, ways of setting up the targeting, setting up the audience, setting up the brand suitability uh, controls um, through Ad Studio, and then get the reporting and everything else that they need to see how they're doing through Spotify Analytics as well. So all of these things are tools that we're providing to make sure that it's it, that podcast ads is way more accessible. And the exciting thing about Ad Studio as well is that you know, we really see that the future, a big future of podcasting is, is to make sure that advertisers of all sizes can, can utilize it. So, you know, not only are we making sure that ad studio has that same kind of parity as, you know, the direct advertisers have seen before, but actually a lot of like our newer products actually get launched in ad studio before they go direct now, because we are so focused on making sure that this is a, a, a service that people can really gain value from. Um, the most recent example of that is actually we recently rolled out as sensitive topic filters uh, through Ad Studio. Sensitive topic filters are basically where we've taken the GARMs, uh, the GARM, uh, you know, the GARM standards where you have things like uh, crime and violence and that kind of thing. But what advertisers can do is they can go in and select which tolerance level that they that they're at. If they're like, hey, you know, we are we are a medium risk advertiser, but for certain content, we feel like we're a low risk advertiser. They can go in and actually select based uh, on each category which level of suitability that they want to go for, and that is something that we launched in Ad Studio. Now it's rolling out direct in the future, but that's just one example of where we are really making sure that the value and the usability of Ad Studio is there for advertisers. What we're kind of excited to do with this as well is like, as I said, because we are we are looking to expand this and continue to expand, you know, right now, I think podcasting, people know the top like one to 5% of podcasters right now. You know, there are certain names that people go, oh yeah, they're a podcaster. And, you know, I think as we continue to invest in this, the hope there is that it becomes such a wider medium that it's not just that top 5% of creators that gain all of the attention from advertisers, but there will be millions of creators that can find audiences and monetize on Spotify. Um, and just that will also help diversify the pool of podcasters as well, diversify like the, the, the whole medium itself. So we're really excited about that, you know, um, we're also doing a lot of investment in video as well. You may have seen that there's more people doing video podcasting now as well. And you know, to go back to something else that I was saying earlier, 
Video brings in other brand safety challenges in regards to like the visual components. So let's get specific in terms of brand suitability for audio and for podcasts specifically. Can you share some guidelines for brands in this emerging, arguably emerged audio advertising space? How's the best way to build a meaningful media experience? A lot of the ways that we're investing in expanding the medium itself and making it more accessible where, you know, before people were doing these direct one-to-one buys of various different podcasts, but as podcasting scales up, it it's going to be unfeasible for brands to review every single episode of every single podcast that they appear on because of the number of shows and the variety of content that's out there. It's going to be a, a lengthy process to understand what is in each one of those shows. So definitely like working with the technology that's available and, and using more contextual controls to allow you to make sure that you're appearing in suitable content and you understand the context of the conversations that are happening in the podcasts and the episodes that you're in. Um, and that you're then also thinking about, you know, uh, that, hey, we may not be able to review every single episode, but if we know that our contextual targeting is working as the platform says it is, then we feel confident that we are still appearing in brand suitable environments. Um, I think with that as well, the other thing that I would say is that we've been investing in making sure that we can be more granular with the contextual controls that Spotify offers. And I would say it def- it's worth exploring how granular that you can get. And what we've seen before when advertisers were first kind of coming into the podcasting space, they would be worried about certain types of content within certain categories. So a great example is uh, crime. You know, uh, crime, uh, I mentioned Serial earlier as a podcast, like Serial as a true crime podcast, huge audience, quite like obviously a, a sensitive topic in regards to true crime, but they're not necessarily glorifying crime. They're not like using real world audio of a crime happening. So this is not like a high risk podcast. So when it comes to an area like crime, a lot of like a lot of advertisers previously may go, listen, I listen to true crime myself, but like, you know, we know that there's going to be podcasts in there that may be a little bit unsuitable for us. So we're going to just remove the entire category. And I think with more granular contextual controls, you can actually uh, look at categories with a little bit more kind of nuance where you can kind of say, hey, I'm not a high risk advertiser. I'm going to remove the high risk stuff, but I'll still be in this category where there's huge engagement, huge audience and people that may want to connect with my brand. Again, you know, that is one example. You know, if you're an advertiser that's focused on like, you know, uh, promoting, you know, I don't know, a, a children's movie, true crime podcast may not be suitable for you one way or another, but it's it's more so to do with just making sure that you use contextual to get granular with where you show up and making sure that it is truly suitable environment without completely removing uh, removing certain categories. The final thing is, and I touched on this earlier, is I I am a big 
fan of contextual targeting because of understanding the language, how it's being used, and what environment it's being said. I'm increasingly not a fan of negative keyword lists um, because I feel like that they are so focused on just kind of like, hey, let's let's remove every incident of this word being said. And depending on what the words are, you could be missing out on great content. I used the drink example earlier, but you know, one thing is I've seen advertisers who haven't updated their keyword lists in years. And they are using terms that, you know, maybe back in 2015, it made sense for them to be away from that content. But today, it, it makes no sense. And actually, they're, again, they're missing out on great content. I was working with an advertiser recently that still had Janet Jackson as a negative keyword because of the incident that she had like 15 plus years ago at the Super Bowl. And it's like, how, like, why then are you removing yourself? Because like the content of people talking about Janet Jackson now is like, you know, I think there was talks of her being introdu introduced into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Those are fans of music talking and appreciating Janet Jackson's music and her catalog of work. What is what is unsafe about that for a lot of advertisers? So I think moving away from the negative keyword list and actually looking at your negative keyword list and going, what's the context that I'm trying to remove myself from? How could I bucket some of these keywords into the context of what I'm trying to eliminate? Are these keywords trying to eliminate breaking news where it's like terrible situations that are happening? Is this negative keyword list uh, trying to make sure that I'm not involved in any conversations around hate speech or crime and violence or misinformation? Like trying to change that negative keyword list into more of a anti-targeting context list and then using contextual controls then to make sure that you're avoiding those areas, those topics of conversation. I think that's that's going to be the future. It is easy enough now to kind of look at your keyword list and like kind of do that bundling and the bracketing and kind of match that up to what is on Spotify and other platforms. I think the thing that I acknowledge like coming from Spotify is that we can always make it easier. And what that means is making sure that there is even more granular controls for brands so that they can get even more specific. So for example, you know, up until recently, news and politics was only one contextual category, but now we've broken that out into breaking news, international news and politics and, you know, various different subcategories, which makes it easier for brands. And that's the feedback that we keep getting, which is keep working on giving us options and controls um, so that we can apply this easier. We finish every episode of the Meaningful Media podcast on the Meaningful Media Fast Five. So Dave, what's your Meaningful Media right now? I have two, if you'll allow me, but it will, it's all tied together. So living in the US, um, I have been... I have been missing like sports that I grew up in, sports that I love. Uh, so right now, two subscriptions that are being very helpful to me. 
firstly, Paramount Plus, because they have the Champions League here, and uh, they have every game from the Champions League on, so that is great. My only issue with it is that most of the games are on at 3 p.m. my time, so I need to shift around some meetings to make sure I catch some of the good games. Um, And then the second one is Peacock, because they have the rights to the Rugby World Cup. What's the media you start your day with? I don't know if this counts, but Duolingo. Not necessarily, I'm not saying that I'm a master of languages, but I am very much somebody that loves the gamification of things. And if you do Duolingo in the morning, you get this like XP boost for later on in the day. So I need to get that early morning boost so that my points uh, score increases. So I've been doing a lot of Spanish uh, recently. I'm one of those people as well where whenever I travel, I like to... I like to pick up a few words beforehand. So I was in like South Korea earlier on this year. I went there. I was able to order food, uh, ask for directions, that kind of thing. So um, I love doing that. But Spanish is the one that I always go back to. What media do you turn to when you're looking to get inspired? This one was an easy one. Audiobooks. Audiobooks. Like A good audiobook can be so inspiring. I'm also one of those people that after like a long work day, physically picking up a book, it can be quite tiring. And it's almost like, oh, I have to read something else. But I can like sit, go for a walk, listen to an audiobook, And um, yeah, I love like listening to like kind of nonfiction stuff as well, where you have the author, you know, talking through it. There's certain books that I read when I was younger that I'm now going back to in audiobook version. So the thing that I'm kind of dipping my toes into every once in a while is uh, Andy Serkis uh, narrates the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and he does all of the characters, and it's very, even though it's an audio, it feels very animated. Like he's he's really got all of the different characters down, and of course, when Gollum comes on, he's in full Gollum mode. Um, so that's a lot of fun because I tried reading that as a kid, and like a lot of it. Like I've struggled with as a kid, watched the movies, of course, but now going back to it as an adult and hearing somebody as passionate as Andy Serkis um, going through it, fantastic. Now, Dave, what's your media guilty pleasure? As I mentioned with the Duolingo thing, I love gamification of stuff. So I am a terrible gamer and this is like my guilty pleasure where it's like there are some evenings where I just need to kind of switch off and I have like an Xbox and I'll just pick it up. I am a terrible gamer. I hate going online to play because people will just completely wipe before with me. So I love like playing games where I can just uh, play against an AI and just, you know, go at my own pace and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that's probably my guilty pleasure. Um, yeah, right now I'm like, I'm going back over like uh, the most recent like Tomb Raider trilogy right now. I'm on the third one now. And um, yeah, it's just play for a few minutes, just decompress uh, after a long day. So I like the third person games where you can actually see your character and kind of see the world around them. And it's not as like jittery, um, but like a lot of like games where I can almost absorb myself in a different world. Um, I can really just, kind of escape from everyday life into these worlds. Okay, you can have one media platform for the rest of your life. We're giving you Spotify, of course. But what is your other single 
media platform that you're having? Tell us which one it is and why. So Spotify is one. I think the other one, and I have to go back to my old company. I have to say YouTube. Um, I, I, I find that YouTube is just a great source of knowledge, information, and like, um, you know, uh, YouTube is great because it's like you can find everything from like, hey, I my dishwasher isn't working. How do I fix it? And there's a video of somebody going, hey, here's how to fix your dishwasher to like music videos to, uh, you know, movie reviews, anything that you're really interested in. There are people that are passionate about it, creating content that you can engage with. And, you know, I love that. And I think um, I think YouTube would be one where I know I could get a mixture of of so many different things and uh, you know, have plenty of content that covers off all of my interests. Um, so yeah, I'd say aside from Spotify, YouTube. Well, Dave, that was a fascinating conversation. I said at the top of the episode, you were the perfect guest to talk us through this and you absolutely were. So many nuggets in here. I'm going to certainly be listening through this one again. Oh, thank you for having me. I, I hope this was interesting and you know, if um, folks are interested to learn more about what I said, you can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, uh, so yeah, Dave Byrne, but don't do David Byrne because if you look up David Byrne and Spotify, you will get somebody totally different. So it's Dave Byrne. <laughs> that's a great place to finish. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for on today's episode. A big thanks to my fantastic guest for joining me and thanks to everyone tuning in we'd love to hear from you and your thoughts on all things meaningful media the media that matters drop us a mail at podcast at havasmg.com that's podcast at havasmg.com please do subscribe like and share the meaningful media podcast on your preferred platform so you don't miss any of our episodes you can follow us on our socials all addresses in the show notes once again thanks join me ben downing soon for more perspectives on Meaningful Media.